welcome to Coffee House. I am sorry it has been so few and far between when it comes to these episodes recently. I have been traveling for personal reasons, so it has been difficult to make sure I get these things read and outlined and recorded and edited in time for release date. But today we are doing a special episode because I had watched these things recently after a bout of severe depression related to the state of film and TV in this country. So today we are having a chat about Licorice Pizza and The Bear. Sometimes we do that. The last one we talked about was Top Gun, Maverick. But Paul Thomas Anderson has a new movie. I didn't even know it existed until recently. And I watched a new show that, that came out, I think, last year. Both are about food. Kind of. And I eat every day, so here's a discussion of PTA's Licorice Pizza and the Hulu show The Bear. So to start, we've got Licorice Pizza. It is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and falling in love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. It's written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. The film tracks the treacherous navigation of first love. So obviously everybody is already sold on that. I mean, it's First Love, it's 73, San Fernando Valley, the girl's last name is Kane. I mean, all that stuff is super quality. It's starring Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman, Sean Penn, Bradley Cooper, and Tom Waits. And it's, yes, that Tom Waits, the the one that Heath Ledger based his performance of the Joker on. But Alana Haim is actually a member of the band Haim, one of a few of the sisters that do that band. I just recently listened to it. It's soft rock romance kind of stuff. It's got this nostalgic sound. It's pretty good stuff. So it's not an actress. This isn't somebody. She has mostly been in her band's music videos. And this is kind of her first breakout role. And then Cooper Hoffman is actually the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. So and from what I could tell, it's his like first role. He had a a couple of minor things, but this is his big breakout role. So the critics love it. Uh, It has slightly mixed reviews from viewers. And I can understand a lot of the times is that people who don't know what they're going in to see. (laughs) Because if it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, this is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So if you don't know what you're going in to see, you're just trying to see a movie, and you get hit with that, then you can have uh, kind of really skewed expectations for what one of his movies is likely to be. But really, it's a collection of vignettes of their experiences in L.A. County. You know, the the driving engine of the thing is will they, won't they. They go back and forth. They meet other people. They have other dates. They have experiences with predatory Hollywood types. They try out different businesses, like a waterbed store and an arcade. During one uh, crazy night, they have a dangerous encounter with a manic Bradley Cooper. It doesn't have like simple plot and progression and character arcs that you expect from, you know, just a basic kind of movie. It's really kind of a vibe on film. It feels like 1973 and it feels like the encapsulation of young imperfect love, the kind of sloppiness around that. And I love it for that. You know, it's something that I watch it and it doesn't have the same sweet and salty treats that you get from a lot of movies. But it has definitely stuck with me consistently after the fact you know something i thought of i thought of the visuals and the very unique presence of the lead actors because they're they're not established actors or anything and bradley cooper you know i'm not a huge fan of the guy i think he's can be very overrated but in this i think he just he was so much fun it was so much fun to watch him play this character and everything that happened with him and of course because it's just like a collection of vignettes like i said you're not really following 
a grand plot all the way down where you have okay here are the twists and turns here's the here are the the setups and the payoffs and all that stuff it's not really like that so if you're not super keen on the kind of movie that you kind of sit and let it wash over you then it's not going to be the movie for you but you should watch it anyway support this guy <laughs> I went through like all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, the box office, and it's so funny because virtually all his movies cost the same amount and have the same performance. <laughs> They'll adjust a little bit here and there, but they're mostly around the same place. And he keeps getting to make these movies, so it's it's great to have that unique voice, especially in our contemporary filmmaking economy uh, it's got to be tough i know uh matt damon was talking about it on on something it might have been hot ones or i think he talked about it on a couple places but they asked why are movies like this now <laughs> what what's the deal and he was talking about how the funding of them they used to be able to get a lot of their money back on dvd sales but that's not something that they can get anymore i don't know how different it is from dvd sales to streaming because streaming gives you like a perpetual return on that investment whereas dvds have a you know the one-time purchase return so i don't know i don't know what the difference is but still so he was talking about how just the economics of filmmaking has changed so much and that's why a lot of the movies you either have to go for broke with the massive movies or just do the kind of just plain content based stuff that like uh disney's doing now where it's not quality at all there's no quality put into it but it's all just let's produce as much content as humanly possible but it did not explain and this is one of the things that annoyed me he did not explain why the writing is so absolutely horrendous now <laughs> they didn't have to do that they could have made whatever they're gonna make but actually have good writing but they decided not to do that they decided to have absolute trash writing so that's on them Anyway, but that's that's Licorice Pizza, and there is a bit of commentary on where the film industry is. And leading into uh, the other thing that I chose to talk about, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, is The Bear. And that's why I'm so brilliant for juxtaposing these two entertainment products, uh, because they are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. The Bear is about Chef Carmen Carmi Berzato played by Jeremy Allen White, he returns home to run his family sandwich shop in Chicago, where he faces issues with running a small business, his new employees, and his family. So the reason that this is on the opposite side of the spectrum is it's almost purely about the plotting and the characters. You know, it's it's not kind of a loose exploration of a time and a place and a feeling. It's also not kind of soft around the edges and easy to imbibe. This is on the other side where it's it's really harsh it's really driven and propulsive and it's about the characters and the firecrackers that are going off in the midst of this this setup so it's starring a bunch of people i've never heard of i've never heard of any of these people but they're all perfectly cast it's heavily character driven with kind of clean and easily understood plot lines you know it's about the the shop the sandwich shop and the conflicts internal and external that motivate and undermine the people therein so, like, there's this one character who's, who has been working in the place for years, but she's very resistant to change, and she's kind of a jerk to Carm when he first gets there, and the new sous chef. But, so, one of the best things that they have is they're able to do the thing that every show that wants to be good needs to be able to do, and that's where they're able to make their all of their characters likable and unlikable in different ways throughout the show. That's what creates complexity and that what that's what makes you want to come back and keep seeing what happens. 
Another show that did that very well was The Office. You know, obviously everybody's heard of that and everybody's seen it by now. But one of the things they really did well in The Office is that even the minor characters, you knew what their personalities were like. And at different times, you absolutely hated them and you loved them. They were hilarious and annoying. And they could be both as you go through that show. Even though that's just kind of a throwaway sitcom. It had a lot of that complexity built into it, just like this does. You know, all the characters, whether it's Carm or, you know, his pastry chef or the sous chef or his cousin, all of those people, at different points, you love them and you hate them. So the show's got a lot of momentum and energy. You know, there's always some kind of conflict going on between the characters, and it's got a lot of setups and a lot of payoffs. And, you know, it's only one season is out now and I'm very much looking forward to the second one, but it's also got these flashbacks to an enigmatic brother who left the shop to Carm. And like I said, his cousin is a major character and he pops up and they, they butt heads a lot of the time, but it's really, really character based. Carm is professionally trained and very talented, but he's prone to outbursts and gets overwhelmed with responsibilities. And his sister is supportive, but has her own family to worry about, so she comes in and out. His new chef is ambitious and very capable, but struggles with the toxic and chaotic nature of the shop, and sometimes contributes to it. His cousin, who's been there longer than him, but wasn't left the shop, you know, you can imagine that causes tension. He has a lot of shady dealings and fosters these conflicts, but in a lot of ways he, he steps up for his family when the chips are down. And then, of course, there's a ragtag group of employees who can be great and can be a hindrance at various times. But there's struggle and they owe money and they try out these new dishes and have to balance that whole thing about being a, just a local sandwich shop versus trying out the culinary artistry that, uh, you know, a couple of them at least are trained for. So I love all the characters and can't wait to see what happens in season two of this thing. If you're a smart person... <laughs> then you'll watch both of these things. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can watch Tractor Accidents or whatever whatever else people are watching. I watch Tractor Accidents, so I don't know what I'm saying. I think I spent at least 30 minutes just watching videos of cats being afraid of cucumbers. So I, I don't know how much I can talk. So, But those were great. Those are great things worth watching, especially to get a spectrum of entertainment and the way this kind of artistry can be done in a time where it's all just kind of being reduced to the lowest common denominator. So, hope you'll check it out. Uh, I'm not a producer or anything on it. I don't know why I'm pushing it so hard. <laughs> but I don't get paid for any of those things. But I hope you check it out. And I hope to see you on the next one, which will be uh, a Thomas Sowell book. We've got The Conflict of Visions that we're reading right now. We'll get that one done. We have Emma that we're working on. We'll get through that. Like I already said, we will be going back through a couple of books uh, that were really interesting ones to make sure we get as much as we can out of those. But, oh my gosh, there are some amazing books that are going to be coming up and some great discussions related to them. We will get to Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson. It's very, very, very long. We will do it. <laughs> we're going to read that book. But that's a couple from now. We're reading Genesis, the book of Genesis. And we're going to make our way through the Bible, you know, one book at a time. Mythologies by Barth. Uh, the Problems of Philosophy by Bertrand Russell. The Tyranny of Big Tech by Josh Hawley. This is, a, a you know, a politician who wrote this book. And it's about what Big Tech has been up to. So I think we can at least pull some stuff that's going to be interesting out of that. And the gene, you know, the history of the gene. We will be racing, reading that one. We'll have Thomas Sowell. And after Emma is going to come Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, which is very long. <laughs> so we're going to have that one. But it'll be a joy all the way through, I'm sure. 
So lots and lots of books coming up. Thank you guys very much for listening to this. And thank you for struggling with me all throughout, you know, the ups and downs of listening to this particular show. I know sometimes it's a complete headache when episodes don't come out or, you know, when I I just race through the content of a particular book because there's so much in it that I want to make sure to get to. And we're going to work out the kinks and we're going to have, you know, do this as well as humanly possible. I hope you enjoyed the Guns, Germs, and Steel episode from last week and we'll probably do a discussion about that one but I just wanted to get this one out there because I thought it was kind of important for this time and place so I hope all is well see you on the next one alright bye (laughs) 